Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 through 4. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Berkeley, or as some pronounce it, Broccoli. Very strange passage. In fact, the next three are going to be familiar to us and yet still strange. This one about wise and foolish bridesmaids is strange enough that I I think probably what I ought to do to give us ears to hear is start by telling you a story about a very difficult wedding we hosted here not too long ago. You should know that when you have a campus that enjoys the participation of several different congregations and actually several different languages, and when those different uh, congregations that speak the different languages recognize that there's a beautiful place here to have a wedding, there's going to be some adventure in some of those weddings. And so, a while back, my friend Jason Smith went to go see one of our Nigerian parishioners who owns a restaurant, still owns a restaurant here in town, and came in to find him addressing wedding invitations. He said, well, great. You're going to tie the knot. This is great. So let me see. When's the wedding? Oh, it's that particular date. Where is it going to happen? Oh, it's at our church. That's interesting. Didn't, Didn't know that. Well, it said, well, Pastor John said I could have the wedding here, and he had asked me, can I have a wedding here? Like, well, sure, you can have a wedding here. We did not discuss date. So he decided on a date. We already had a wedding that day. In fact, we had a a wedding with our Spanish-speaking friends that day. Now, he was inviting people from Nigeria. There were people who already purchased plane tickets. Like, this was coming up quickly. And so Jason came back and said, what have we done? (laughs) And so we actually negotiated with the Spanish-speaking wedding party. They actually had their wedding a little bit earlier, and then they got done so that then we could have what now is called the Nigerian Nightmare Wedding (laughs) later that day. It was slated to start at 6, and I was so honored to do the wedding. It was slated to start at 6. At 7.45, we finally located the bride. 7.45. She wasn't quite ready at that point for the ceremony. She and her bridesmaids, though, rolled in uh, in a very uh, impressive limousine, if I remember, and then they rolled into the sanctuary, and we got started. The 6 o'clock wedding got started somewhere around 8.15. And then the ceremony, I had my parts to do, but I don't know if you know this, and I was not aware of all these different Nigerian practices, but a Nigerian wedding is a, is a long, drawn-out affair that's going to span several different venues. There will be stops. So it's kind of like a progressive wedding, right? 
The wedding, the six o'clock wedding that was supposed to be done somewhere around, I don't know, 6.45 or so, was actually finished at 9.45 that night. And then that was just sort of a pause button while we all relocated to the place where the uh, reception was going to be because in a Nigerian wedding, the, the wedding's not over until you have this particular moment at the reception. So we all made it over to the wedding, to the uh, reception venue, and it was supposed to start around, I don't know, after the wedding's over at 9.45, you think, oh, they'll start, I don't know, 10.30 at the, at the latest. My wife left and went home at midnight because it hadn't yet uh, started. And I stepped up to do my thing. <laughs> now, keep in mind, this was Saturday before Sunday at 1 a.m. Wow. I did not know what I did not know about Nigerian. They were... They were not bothered by any of this. This was all like, yeah, this is, this is the way we do weddings. Like, what's, what's your problem? <laughs> I didn't know what I didn't know about Nigerian weddings. And we don't know what we don't know about ancient Palestinian weddings. This, this seems also to be wedding practices that are probably foreign to us, foreign to us, and perhaps this, like the Nigerian wedding, was a wedding that sort of had a, a progress, a progression to it, that perhaps there were different venues and steps and stages to it. This particular venue would have been the one right before the big, I'm going to call it the big wedding reception and party, perhaps the finishing move of a night. There'd been other steps before, but now we are getting ready for the last bit. Now, uh, there are some questions that we aren't really meant to ask because the parable doesn't bother to tell us, like, why are they late? Doesn't matter. Where is the bride? Don't know. Doesn't matter. Parable doesn't seem to think that we need to know. What matters here is what is underlined time and again, time and again. Here, here's what matters. That five of these bridesmaids were wise and were ready to wait however long it took, and five were foolish. They were not prepared to wait however long it took. Stepping away from my notes a little bit, uh, man, I've sat with several of you and cried this week. There are some very difficult stories playing out before us. People have passed away. Younger people have passed away. It's not supposed to happen like that. Families are going through hell. Hell. One of, one of the words that was used this week as I sat across from somebody I care for very deeply, she said, my family is imploding through tears. Another family is just, well, we're not sure where to go from here. We, we feel like we've, we've survived a scare, but we're not, we're not sure where to go from here. There is such an uncertainty. But, but this is perhaps what each one of the people might, this is perhaps what each one of those families might have said to me this week. Pastor, how much longer do we have to put up with this? Pastor, when does God win? Pastor, when do we get to win because God wins. How much longer? How much longer, God? Now, chapter 25 in the book of Matthew cannot be understood as an island. It is reaching back 
to chapter 24. When you, so the Bible expects that you will have read chapter 24. Chapter 24, you would have had a bunch of people asking this question. How much longer? How much longer for this pain, this, this anguish? And let, let's talk a little bit about the pain and anguish that they're going through. Starting with verse 1 of chapter 24, Jesus came out of the temple and was going away. Then his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, and then he asked them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I tell you, says Jesus, this temple you're seeing, not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. Well, that's terrifying. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and saying, that was terrifying. When will this be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That kind of terrifying, so terrifying that you expect that all of time will stop. Some of the people I've sat with this week, it must seem like all of time has stopped. <laughs> let, let me give you some historical backdrop here. Matthew's gospel was written, we think, second. Mark's gospel was written first, probably quite a bit earlier than Matthew's gospel. Matthew 24 is pretty much a copy of Mark 13, but the historical backdrop couldn't have been much different. Mark 13 was perhaps written as the temple was being torn apart by the Roman occupying force who had finally had enough of this little uprising known as Christianity, this, this uprising known as Judaism, they'd, they'd had enough. And so they were ransacking everything and destroying the temple, destroying it. And there were people who believed that when, then, when you see the temple being ransacked and destroyed, that's it. God will have had enough, and God will come in and just sort of solve everything. We still have those people around, right? We still have those people around who will say, oh, things are so bad right now. Things are so bad. I'm, just be prepared, Jesus could come at any minute. Have, have you heard anybody say that recently? They kind of expected that in the book of Mark. And then it didn't happen. Matthew was written to try to help us to recalibrate what Jesus must have meant when Jesus said, I'm coming again. If it wasn't going to happen right there in the, in the immediate aftermath of the destruction of the temple, then what did Jesus mean? Verse 32 in chapter 24, from the fig tree you learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I tell you, said Jesus, truly I tell you. This generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Yeah, but Jesus, years have passed. How much longer? Now, Jesus, thousands of years have passed. How much longer? Thousands of years have passed. And maybe Matthew is saying, Maybe we didn't quite understand what Jesus was talking about. Maybe we need to reinterpret and, and recalibrate what we thought was going to happen. Is it possible that we still need to think again about what Jesus must have meant 
Was Jesus not being honest with us? I, I don't believe that. I hope you don't believe that. Then what are we to think about these kinds of words like we have in Matthew chapter 24 that talk about the end of all things? How much longer, Jesus? Jesus, are, are you watching the news? Jesus, are you aware what is happening on the screens around us? I don't know about you guys, but that news from Gaza is infuriating to me. It's impossible. It, it, it's terrifying. I don't feel great about Ukraine. I, I would submit that we have some national issues as well. God, are you paying attention? I, I, maybe I'm the only one in the room that has prayed that prayer recently, but your pastor has prayed recently. God, are you paying attention? How much longer, God? Because it's not just that stuff, right? It's, it's very difficult denominational stuff. And it's not just that, right? It's families that I've been sitting with this week, each of which might have said something like this, how much longer? How much longer? When do we win? God, when do you win? And in response, there's the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this, says Jesus in response to questions like that. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, might have actually even used the word morons here. But since there are kids in the room, I'll just say foolish. And five are wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no extra oil with them. But, then the, wise, but the wise took flasks of, oils, of oil with their lamps. They, they thought it could take a while. As the bridegroom was delayed for whatever reason, all of them became drowsy and slept. Right? So the judgment here is not against those who get tired and go to sleep. That's, that's not the judgment. All of them get tired and sleep. The judgment here is against those who aren't prepared to wait well. Does this make some sense? Wise and foolish has nothing to do with whether or not you get tired Friends, it's okay for Christians to get tired. <laughs> it's okay for Christians to lament out loud and ask God, how much longer? In fact, it's okay for Christians, I mean, if the book of, of Psalms is any indication, it's okay for Christians to look at God and say, are you paying attention? How much longer? God's big enough for your questions. You know how I know? God seems to be big enough for mine. How much longer, God? The judgment here is not against those who would ask those kinds of questions. The judgment is, though, for those who don't seem to know how to wait very well. Things change. 
At midnight, there was a shout, look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all those bridesmaids got up and they trimmed their lamps because there's a party to be had and they want to go and participate. Perhaps they had roles in this party. It was important for them to be there and to be ready. Verse eight, the foolish said to the wise, shoot, I have run out of oil. Can I borrow some from you? For our lamps are going out. And we really wanna go to the party. We really wanna be a part of all that's happening here. But the wise replied, I mean, don't, there's not, I've already used my extra oil. I, there's not enough. Now, some of you might say, well, they should have shared. It's Kids Sunday, shouldn't they have shared? Not the point in the parable, just move on. <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> the answer is some weren't prepared. The wise bridesmaid said, tell you what, I know it's late, but I think there's an all-night oil store down the street. Run down there, get some oil, and buy some for yourselves. And then, while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and then the door was shut. Oof. They missed their moment because they hadn't waited well. There was hope available. There was celebration available. There was good stuff available. But they hadn't waited well, and so they missed it. This seems awfully harsh. So these next three weeks will will, uh, allow me to have discussions with you about eschatology. Okay? It is the theology of the end of all things. And you know, I'll tell you right up front, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a rapture person. I don't see it in the Bible. And it doesn't fit the mind and heart of God, Pastor Doug. But I do think we need to have this discussion because I, I think we have taken a subject matter and used it as a weapon against our people. And I think, I think we need to talk about that. It's not that there isn't something here for us to learn. It's not that we don't have adjustments to make. But I, I am not sure that the God whose mind about you is made up, ready for this, and the news is, is then going to terrorize you into relationship with him. I almost got applause there. Someday I will. Someday I will. <laughs> I'm playing. I'm totally, I'm totally playing. Should never, I'm going to pay for that one later. I'm sorry. Like. <laughs> Kristen Mason sent this hilarious quote this week. You're so well behaved. Thanks. I was raised in constant fear of the rapture happening in the next 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, this, this year-long pursuit of Jesus now concludes with three very familiar and yet troublesome, uncomfortable parables. This week, this one, and then next week it's the parable of the talents. And then y'all, buckle up, because then it's the parable of the sheep and the goats on Christ the King Sunday, the last one before Advent. All have to do with waiting faithfully. All have to do with the spiritual discipline of endurance. (laughs) all have to do with making sure that we're waiting for the right kinds of things and preparing to participate in the right kinds of parties. 
We have been pursuing this Jesus only to find that this Jesus has also been pursuing us. And for a year, we have explored all that Jesus, the Christ, was and is. And I'm telling you, we've only scratched the surface. It'll take a lifetime and beyond to learn all that there is to learn about Jesus. But I do hope this year that it's been more than just knowing about Jesus. I hope that somehow this year, like me, you have gotten to know Jesus so that you can make more educated guesses, I guess, and take more informed steps as it has to do with being in relationship, relationship, re- relationship with Jesus. Lest someone wonders what I believe, I believe that one can have relationship with Jesus and all God's people said. And part of the reason I believe that is because Jesus wants this relationship with you. And Jesus will always do more of the work to connect with you than you'll do to connect with Jesus. But I do believe you can have relationship with Jesus. Even as you are asking, how much longer? Even as you are going through all that you are going through, as we wait for God to finish what God started, as we wait for Jesus to return, whatever that means, please keep in mind that we're waiting for someone that we know and who knows us. Of all the things that are going to be completed, it's your relationship with Christ that will someday be completed. (laughs) Not ended, but finally perfected. It's not just that we're waiting on the end of all things. We're waiting on someone, someone who knows, loves, and chooses us. And I gotta tell you, this this is where I get a little bit annoyed. This is where I found some energy and some inspiration to try to rethink and rearticulate what we mean when we discuss eschatology, the end of all things. That word end is interesting, isn't it? I think sometimes we misconstrue the definition of that word end. End doesn't mean so much the last chapter as in the end of the story. It means the goal or the point, right? The ends justify the means. The end, the goal, the point. It's not how do we wait for the last chapter, it's how do we wait and prepare for the goal of this entire project. And I'm gonna use these words a lot now from here to the end. The goal of the entire project, which is redemption, restoration, completion. See, when end means the last chapter, that's when you start to find people who think there's a code to crack in scripture. A formula that will tell us exactly when Christ will return to end, last chapter, it all. And sometimes those folks sell everything. And they go to a high hilltop. And there on that high hilltop, they are disappointed, disillusioned, disenchanted, and broke. But when the end is the goal or the point, and the point is redemption and restoration, don't I remember somewhere in Scripture this line, behold, I am making all things new. The home of God will be with the people of God. When the end is uh, the goal or the point, which is redemption and restoration, we give ourselves to the patient, enduring, faithful work of preparing for Redemption and restoration, in in my head, the greatest 
theologian of our time is a guy by the name of Jürgen Moltmann, just, just one of my, I just think he's the, the industry standard, and here's what he says. A proper theology would therefore have to be constructed in the light of its future goal. Eschatology should not be its end, but its beginning. Eschatology, I love this, is not based on predictions or prophesyings, trend analyses, and extrapolations. It is based on God's promises. Man, that's a great place for a big, strong. Not bad. Y'all are on it today. I like it. There is this word, parousia, that comes up a lot in the discussion of eschatology. And this may be my favorite quote from Jürgen Moltmann, who says, to translate parousia as coming again or second coming is wrong because that presupposes a temporary absence. Now, obviously, y'all, I'm watching the news too, and I'm infuriated by what I see on the screens. I, I'm in, I am bothered by the injustices. <laughs> I, I am moved by the stories that you bring to me, and I'm so honored to hear them. I, too, am asking along with you, Lord, how much longer? Obviously, there's work to be done. God may not be absent, but it's obvious to me that God isn't finished yet either. We are still waiting. There's work to be done. How do we wait? How do we wait? What does good and faithful waiting look like? So have you ever known someone who was going to have a baby. Many of you have, congratulations. <laughs> now I know it's painful, it's a painful subject for some of you. I'm desperately sorry about that, been there. But if you have ever known someone who was either going to give birth to a child or knows exactly the date when an adopted child was gonna come and take up residence, especially if it's a baby, there is a period before that we're gonna call a waiting period. That is not an inactive time period. <laughs> There's a lot of preparation that is done for all that is coming. In fact, I mean, wow, a lot happens there while waiting, while waiting for this new life. Similarly, and we're gonna talk about this throughout Advent, Advent is a time, these three weeks now are going to be times when we will discuss what it looks like to wait actively, to wait faithfully. Active waiting can be hard work because it's all about preparation. It, it is a preparation for the arrival, but it's also preparation for the one who waits for you. M making preparation actually is a pretty good time to pass the time, pretty good way to pass the time and wait. But we must not wait Forget what we wait for. It's not, or at least it shouldn't be at least, something terrible. Remember, this project has as its end redemption and restoration. This is the God who is saying, I am making all things new. I have had occasion to ask myself this week, what are we still doing? Like, what, what are we doing as, as I have received one more family from our church, someone who said, hey, pastor, 
I, it's, not, it's not OKC first. It's, it always starts like that. But I just don't know what we're doing as, as Christianity. As Christianity, I, I, don't, I look at the news and I hear what everybody else is saying about Christians and about Christianity. I'm, I'm not sure if it makes much sense anymore. I mean, it seems as it plays out on the screens in front of me. It seems exclusive, it seems angry, it seems judgmental, and I don't want to be a part of that. And so he was trying to narrate his, narrate his way out. Maybe this is something else. Maybe I need to go on record saying, we're trying to do faith differently than that. Everybody know that? I, I don't want to be exclusive. I would rather us be inclusive. And all God's people said, I would like for us to be a non-anxious presence in the world. <laughs> that can practice hospitality in ways that make inclusion available to those who've been excluded somewhere else, and all God's people said. I don't, I don't wanna do it the way it's being done out there. I wanna do it in a way that produces, like exhaust, hope. Hope. Yes, more than that, but to those families in the room, who feel like everything is imploding and falling apart, I hope what we do here produces hope, just enough for you in these difficult days. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, what we're waiting on when we discuss matters of eschatology is not the terrible thing that God's going to do to the people who don't agree with God. What we are waiting on here it's something that actually bubbles to the surface every once in a while already. We do talk about this kingdom as if it is now, but also not yet. But it is also now. There are times, there are times when you can see the kingdom bubble to the surface. There are times when a kingdom moment just sort of happens in your midst, sometimes when you least expect it. There are times when the resurrected Jesus shows up shows up, and some of you miss it. Because you're out of oil. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Listen to this crazy quote that I read. You're gonna really like this. Author by the name of Robert Capon says that we, we, we sometimes miss here in this parable the ultimate point, which is there's a party happening. <laughs> Watch, therefore, says Jesus, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Robert Capon says this, when all is said and done, when we have scared ourselves silly with the now or never urgency of faith and the once and always finality of judgment, anybody ever suffered that? We need to take a deep breath and let it all out with a laugh because what we are watching for is a party. And that party is not just down the street making up its mind when to come to us. It's already hiding in our basement, banging on our steam pipes and laughing its way up our cellar stairs. The unknown day and hour of its finally bursting into the kitchen and roistering its way through the whole house is not dreadful. It's all part of the divine lark of grace. God is not our mother-in-law coming to see whether her wedding present china has been chipped. Okay, it gets better. <laughs> Rather, God is the funny old uncle with a salami under one arm and a bottle of wine under the other. <laughs> we do indeed need to watch for him, but only because it would be such 
a pity to miss the fun. And some of you are missing the fun. Okay, then what does readiness look like? What, is it, what does it look like to be the people who are trying to be ready but are also facing difficult circumstances? I read another commentator this week who has one of the most unfortunate names I've ever heard. His name is Eugene Boring. <laughs> I'll get to this quote. He says, okay, y'all, readiness in Matthew is, of course, living the life of the kingdom, living the quality of life described in the Sermon on the Mount. Man, that's a lot, right? The Sermon on the Mount was a whole lot, but that is, for Christ, readiness. Many can do this for a short while, but when the kingdom is delayed, how much longer, Lord, how much longer the problems arise? Being a peacemaker for a day is not as demanding as being a peacemaker year after year when the hostility breaks out again and again and the bridegroom is delayed. Being merciful for an evening can be pleasant, Thanksgiving. Being merciful for a lifetime when the groom is delayed requires preparedness. He goes on to say at the beginning of the life of faith, you can't really tell the followers of Jesus apart. They all have lamps, they're all excited about the wedding, and they all know how to sing, Lord, Lord, deep into the night. When we spot some persons attempting in vain to fan a dying flame to life, we begin to distinguish wisdom from foolishness. There is hope on offer to you. There is hope. Re regardless of your circumstances, there is hope so long as you don't opt out. Listen, if, if you opt out, see this playing out around us, around us all the time. God is, God is not going to break your arm, twisting your arm to get you to finally come to the party. I don't know about you, but I am tired of seeing people walk away from the party. Happens all the time. But if you'll not opt out, if you'll stay in step, if you will try to listen again to the stories, which stories, John? Well, this one. This one, first and foremost, this one. If you'll continue to give yourself to the rhythms and the habits and the patterns and the disciplines of faith, then over a period of time, what'll happen is you'll become aware of hope that you would not have been aware of earlier. Or, and I've seen this too, sometimes folks who opt out then take sort of the human default sort of posture and position, which I, I think is the posture of consumerism. What am I getting out of this? And you'll go home and judge the pastor's sermon like it was a dunk contest. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Stay involved. In the process of staying involved, you will find hope and sometimes the party around the next corner. Stay involved. Don't opt out of the language and the ritual of faith. Don't opt out. There are some things you can see when orienting here that you can't see otherwise. Quick story, and I'll be done. Last Wednesday night, we had a very interesting meeting. It turns out, and Pastor Mike has really helped us with this, we have an opportunity as a church to be involved in a long-term recovery ministry. For reasons many of you already understand, I have for a long time wanted us to be involved in long-term recovery ministry. And we have this opportunity with the group called Oxford House. You ever, you ever see the people that are in the atrium about once a month as we are leaving church? It's Oxford House using our building, and they use our facility, our whole campus, quite a bit. And not too long ago, they said, hey, we have all these people in these houses. We have women's houses and we have men's houses. Can you help us help them? Can you help us help them? And we said, well, sure. And so Kelly Baker and Bonnie Goodwin went and asked a group of about 70-ish women, like, do you need some help? Can we help? What is it that you need? And an hour and a half later, we had who knows how much, I mean, just yellow pads full of ideas that have been distilled down to once a month activities, and again, I'm actually going to say a whole lot more about this in two weeks, two weeks. Once a month activities that we can do, I think we can do, but we will need some help. Now, I know you're a busy people. Busy and talented people and talented busy are often busy people. But we knew that we were going to need some help to pull off each one of these month-long emphases. And so we, we asked 15 different people to help us. Do you want to know how many people said yes, they'd help us? Fifteen. You're a church that doesn't opt out. Some of those people were going through quite a bit. Some of the people that we talked to, I happen to know, I happen to know that some of the folks that we talked to are really going through it. And they said yes. Now, friends, saying yes in that moment, you ready? That's waiting well. No, I'm not just trying to build the volunteer base again. I'm trying to say to you, there will come a moment when life will be dark and you will wonder if everything's coming apart. You will wonder if your family is imploding. You'll wonder if you'll ever keep sacred time again. How much longer, Lord? How do we wait? Christ seems to be saying, well, you wait by waiting well. I don't know if I can summon the energy for that. Totally understand. You probably need something to eat and drink to summon the kind of imagination and energy to continue to stay 
in step with what it is that God's doing. So if you're helping us to set this table, perhaps a lot of us need this today. Heavenly Father, as people come, would you bless these elements, the bread and the cup? Because, God, there are so many here who do need the help. There are so many here who need to be reoriented to this particular story, the story of grace where you move first, you reach farther. There are so many of us, God, who are tired, so many of us who have asked the question and will continue to ask the question, how much longer, Lord, we, God, desperately need sustenance to be able to wait well, and so you provide today the sustenance that we need in order to wait well. So my prayer is that somebody in the room, tired, broken, tired, broken, and, and asking the hard questions, God, are you paying attention? How much longer? My prayer is that they will today, at the very least, be reminded of your grace and your presence. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, all of you who will. Stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and come forward to receive these gifts of bread and cup meant to orient all of us. As you approach someone holding a plate of bread, this person will take a piece and press it into your open hands. Please come with open hands. And we'll say, this is the body of Christ, broken for you. Take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then, if you would, find a place to pray. If you need a prayer for healing of any kind, we were honored to pray that prayer along with you. If you'll just come to one of these side padded altars, someone will meet you there and pray that prayer for healing physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, familial, otherwise relational. We'll pray that prayer for healing if you need it this morning. Or you can come to one of these mourner's benches up at the front, and we won't necessarily know why you're coming, but we do want you to know that you won't be praying alone. If you need to pray that prayer that goes something like this, God, help me to not opt out. God, help me to wait well. Or, you know what other prayer is absolutely in bounds here this morning. How much longer, God? How much longer? God, are you paying attention? God receives those prayers here as well. And somebody, probably me, will come alongside you and just let you know that you're not alone. Or you can circle right back around and pray at your seats. But if you do, please continue to ask God to make you aware of God's sustaining presence because I don't know how much longer, y'all, and you don't either. As much as I would like to dispense an answer for you today, it's not coming. But what we do have on offer today is hope. Companionship. Now, all are invited, but none are compelled. If, if you are one of those who would say, I don't think so, not for me, not anymore. That's okay. You'll always be invited, but we're not gonna twist your arm. All are invited, 
None are compelled. If you do come down, you may want to make a trip by this bowl of water where you're meant to be reminded of the moment of your baptism when you were included in the most specific of ways, the moment of your baptism, into this, this people group that has a purpose, that has a calling, that has a sense of companionship. If you need to be reminded of all of that, come find your way to this bowl of water. You may say to yourself, I don't think I qualify to come down to this table. I have great news. You qualify if you know you need this grace. John, you will not believe what I said to my child trying to get her ready for church this morning. If you recognize your need for grace, this table is for you. Doesn't matter what you dragged in here with you today. This is where the story begins. And you, like me, need to be reminded that the story begins not with your choice for God, but with God's choice for you. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, including today, remember me. The same way he took the cup and held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it today, including today, remember me. I do hope you eat so much of this bread that you start to think, man, I think I'm becoming the bread <laughs> taken, blessed, broken, and given. That's called waiting well. Now, if you would, all across the sanctuary, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, all of you who would, and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of grace meant to sustain you, meant to sustain the people of God.